0: What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to Top 10 Takeaways on the Player Profiler YouTube channel. I am Cody Carpenter. You can find me on Twitter at Carpenter NFL. With me right here, my main man, Dario Ofstein. You can find him on Twitter at Dario Offstein. Dario, we're not on the computer. That's we're right. in the flesh in Phoenix, Arizona at Radio Row at the Caesars Sportsbook Super Stage. How are you doing?
1: This is pretty unreal, I got to say. I mean, we've been, we got to attend opening night last night. We got to do a little bit of media availability this morning. Got to visit State Farm Stadium for the first time and just absolutely enjoying our time out here in Arizona so far. This is, you know, first show we've ever done together live in person. So just ecstatic to be here. It's been a great, great season. And now we're just, you know, breaking new levels for Player Profiler right now as we speak.
0: And we're live. We're live where we thought maybe for a little bit, hey, maybe we're not going to be live. We got her tuned in, thankful Uh to the Omaha crew here, the Cedars crew. They are awesome. Um, But tonight, we're going to be going through the top 10 takeaways of the 2022 NFL season. And then we'll be back again on Thursday, where we do the PropCast Happy Hour. Looking forward to the Super Bowl this weekend, Super Bowl 57. Uh, You can find all that content from the last day or two and forward to the next two days, uh, where we will continue to interview the Chiefs and the Eagles day in and day out. But we're going to start out right here, number number 10. Patrick Mahomes' development without Tyreek Hill, takeaway number 10. What are your thoughts here?
1: Yeah, I mean, the key here, I think, is you have to look at the fact that the Chiefs are obviously a contender, right? Mahomes is arguably the most talented quarterback the league has ever seen, and the Chiefs are inarguably a contender for the entirety of his career, but they have to look at how to extend that window. How do they keep that window going, and how can they continue to contend for championships? And the Chiefs decided the best way to do that was by trading away a star receiver which is a questionable move in today's day and age i mean we saw the eagles get here by trading for a star receiver that's one of the big narratives and then the chiefs traded one away but the chiefs were able to manage without tyreek hill you had juju smith schuster Marquise valdez scantling and Miko hardman all step up into bigger roles and we've seen mahomes mature into a, a stronger quarterback by lowering his depth of target And even despite this, he had career highs in touchdowns. And, um, no, sorry, (laughs) Travis Kelsey had career highs in receiving touchdowns and receptions. So Travis Kelsey stepped up into an even bigger role. And Patrick Mahomes had his, his most passing yards in a season. So it's been just a big step forward for Mahomes, even though they traded away Tyreek Hill, which is not what most people expected. I think one of my biggest takeaways from it is the fact that we put so much weight
0: on Tyreek Hill being the guy. Tyreek Hill, it's such a big deal. He's leaving this team. I remember the discussions before the season of the AFC West is a toss-up right now because Mm -hmm. Russell Wilson comes in. The Chargers are growing into this young team. The Raiders are always a question mark, right? You never know. And then the Chiefs obviously lose Tyreek Hill. And when you look at the last six years, not counting this year, the last six years, the leading receiver on this team, Kelsey was three times, Tyreek Hill was three times, Yeah. and they only won 14 games in a season once in those previous six seasons and that yeah. was a season they lost the super bowl they won the super bowl with a 12 and 4 record and then this year they come out go 14 and 3 and kelsey of course i think that's the number one thing is that we didn't put enough weight on how important kelsey is to this team mm-hmm. more so really than what Tyreek. because Tyreek's a crazy weapon right? right but travis i mean we talked about this in the prop cast a couple weeks ago where the number was i think eight on props mm-hmm. right and they had like a special out I think over eight and a half and like a touchdown. And he hits that in like the second drive. (laughs) It's like he's so pivotal to this team winning and more so. I think we need to put, we need to understand that some of these teams and we see this a lot more in the NFL where some teams maybe aren't built for having a tight end. The chiefs are completely built around the tight end.
1: And I think another thing to keep in mind too, is there was doubts of, can Travis Kelsey hold his own without Tyreek Hill there to draw so much attention yeah. from the defenses, right? I mean, Travis Kelsey, one year older, he's already into his 30s. We know that tight ends do have a prime that extends longer, but there were some serious questions about Travis Kelsey going into the season because we expected him to see so much more attention from defenses. And between Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid, they proved that it didn't matter. Like I said, Travis Kelsey, career high in receptions, career high in touchdowns career-high and fantasy points per game. Just absolutely insane stuff from this Chiefs offense. And like you said, 14 wins was a number they hadn't gotten to most years with Mahomes. And Mahomes has obviously been near the top of the league since he became a starter, but they just still are able to maintain that ceiling even without, you know, what we thought was their number one weapon in Tyreek Hill.
0: So let's talk about some teams that didn't make the Super Bowl because the Kansas City Chiefs will be playing on Sunday. We'll talk about the other team here in a minute, but let's talk about a team that lost last weekend, the San Francisco 49ers and their skill group. How important was it for this team to, to obviously go through the quarterback issues mm-hmm. they went through, but put some weight on this skill position for me.
1: I mean, even before they traded for Christian McCaffrey, this skill group of Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk, and George Kittle was one of the best in the league.
0: But then they go out
1: and trade four draft picks, second, third, fourth, and fifth rounders for Christian McCaffrey. I think time will tell whether we look back on that deal as having overpaid. Obviously, McCaffrey delivered greatly this season, but I think there's some doubts of whether they gave up too much draft capital. But overall, this takeaway is just about how insane that skill group was this season. And we saw it down the stretch. Brock Purdy became the starter. I believe it was week 11. And he did not lose a game mm-hmm. until the NFC Championship game when he, of course, tore his UCL on their first possession of the game. So that skill group was able to carry the last pick in the draft to the NFC Championship game. Obviously, huge, huge credit to the 49ers defense, but that skill group skill group allowed Kyle Shanahan to do just about anything with opposing defenses, and they were a terrifying matchup in every way. How much weight do you put on
0: Brock versus the acquiring cmc midway through the year because when you look at this and 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 right down to it from that arizona game they scored 38 they shut out the saints 33 35 close game against seattle 37 37 38 and then 41 in the first round of the playoffs do you put more weight on brock or more weight on cmc
1: i think i'm really hesitant to give brock pretty too much credit so far i mean if you look at just you know the simple stat sheets he never broke 300 passing yards in any of these games And I think that that speaks volumes to just how strong the running game is. Obviously, Shanahan, that's like one of his go-to traits is designing a great run game. So I think that, I mean, just being able to dump it off to Christian McCaffrey, having Elijah Mitchell come back for some of those games. Elijah Mitchell is a great running back, you know, in terms of pure on the ground skill. And I think that it's going to be very interesting to see how the 49ers handle this quarterback situation going forward, right? You're going to have Trey Lance coming off of an ankle injury. You're going to have Brock Purdy coming off of an elbow injury. Who's going to be healthy in July? Who's going to be able to contribute and lead this team? Obviously they gave up three first round picks to draft Trey Lance and he has started a total of two games for them. (laughs) Or actually I think that's, that might not be true because I think he came in and subbed for Garoppolo last year once or twice, but he started two games this season and got hurt in the second one. So he's only, really been the starter for this team for one whole game, and it was that game practically in monsoon conditions in Chicago. So, I, they have a lot of question marks going forward, but I do think that this skill group is going to be able to carry whoever steps into that role.
0: Trey was asked the other day if he was going to work on his throwing motion or anything like that. He said the going through the recovery with the ankle was going good. He said he was not going to tweak his throwing motion at all. Does that tell you it was an early inkling. I know we're sitting here. It's early February. <laughs> Does that early inkling. Tell you that I think Shanahan trusts Lance as the guy I mean, grapple was gone.
1: Yeah. No, I mean, I think Shanahan already went as far as to say grapple was gone. Yeah. Um, I, I would think that they're going to trust Lance, especially, I mean, I think there's more of a conversation if Purdy had ended this season healthy, yeah. but that UCL injury is nothing to joke about. And, that, and that's like, going to be a serious recovery for Purdy. They still haven't decided whether he's going to have Tommy John surgery or what that treatment's going to look like. So, I think, I mean, I just see no way around them at least giving Trey Lance the first stab at it yeah. in, you know, those those um, training camp reps and all the early uh, OTAs.
0: Does this, does this skill position, you know, we, we talked about Christian McCaffrey, we talked about Brock Purdy, Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk, George Kittle. We mm-hmm. forgot three dudes we haven't even mentioned yet. Is this by far
1: the best skill group in the NFL? I think so, and I think they showed that this year. I mean... There were games where Brandon Ayuk would put the team on his back, right? I mean, 80 yards, two touchdowns. Feels like the typical Brandon Ayuk stat line this season. George Kittle also had, like, several multiple touchdown games. And, I mean, keep in mind, Debo Samuel was hurt for weeks, like, 13 through 17. He didn't even see the field. And this offense did not miss a beat without Debo Samuel because that's just how much talent was around the quarterback position for the 49ers this year, so... I think, yeah, by far, that's that's takeaway number nine for you. is The Niner-skill position group was the best one in the league, and I don't think it was particularly close this season. I think
0: that's a great takeaway, but I think we should talk about a team that uh, had a little bit of higher expectations maybe coming into this mm-hmm. season. Russell Wilson. Oh, yeah. What happened?
1: You know, I think people are going to ask themselves this question for many years to come. How did the Broncos butcher this one so bad? I think it started with... Mr. Russ, unlimited. Yeah. Mr. <laughs> unlimited. Yeah. Well, think, well, where, yeah. Pretty limited to Yeah, pretty Unlimited amount of turnover is more like it. God, but, but I think that just it probably started with the locker room dynamic and then them giving Russ too much power over the team. Yeah. I mean, all this stuff about his personal trainers being allowed in the building, him having his own office, just makes Absolutely no sense to me, and Sean Payton. Who's like, I've never heard of that, and it's not going to happen anymore under my watch. So I think they're gonna they're gonna be riding the ship. But yeah, I think obviously that was a huge unforeseen breakdown. I mean, all these years we've talked about, you know, let Russ cook, let Russ yeah. cook. Oh, the Seahawks are holding him back with this run game, and he was so efficient. And I'm starting to wonder, did we not give DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett enough credit? Does that elite wide receiver duo made Geno Smith look really good this year. Defense. And yeah. yeah, the defense obviously a legion of boom in those early years for Russell Wilson. But yeah, I mean, I think in terms of not meeting expectations, the Broncos are definitely up there for this season.
0: My takeaway from that whole situation is that nobody is a quarterback away. No matter what you say, nobody's a quarterback away. Because we saw them last year have Brett Ripon, Teddy Bridgewater, Drew Locke, mm-hmm. and they go seven and or five and they go seven and ten. And then this year they go five and twelve with yeah. Russ, oh, and it was like, oh, they're gonna have a top five defense. The team is ready. All they need, plug the quarterback in, they'll go. And it reminded me of the Minnesota Vikings when you go back to 2017. They make the NFC Championship with Case Keenum. They go yeah. 13 and three, and they go, oh, we bring in Kirk. This is gonna elevate this entire team. We're right. going to the Super Bowl. We're gonna win the Super Bowl. You bring in Kirk, pay him all this money. They didn't. They went eight and seven and one. It's it's kind of a similar situation where it's, it always feels like. You, the Vikings did it again with Sam Bradford. They traded for him the day before the season started. We're a quarterback away. Nobody's a quarterback away, and that was most apparent this year with a guy mm-hmm. like Russell Wilson, who everyone thought was we could unleash Russell Wilson and he'll take over the league. Not going to happen.
1: Yeah, no, I think I think you're right to a certain extent, but also it's it's so easy to see how teams fall into this trap. I mean, if you're the Jets coming into this offseason, look at how good that Jets defense was this year. Brees Hall is going to be coming back from injury. Those wide receivers are legit and they just got nothing from their quarterbacks this yeah. season. I think the Jets going into this offseason are the epitome of a team that can think <laughs> they're a quarterback away, and I think it'll be another case study in this argument. But, I mean, so far, that's the one. it's that's been the tough one. to see. That's the team this year. Yeah. It's the Jets. It's, oh, give Every us, us Rodgers and let's yeah. see what happens. Or
0: give us you know get Derek Carr, or whatever whatever it's going to be. It just feels like that's the, that's the you're never
1: a quarterback away, and teams just need to learn that. Right. And I think this segues perfectly into, I mean, we mentioned Geno Smith, we mentioned Metcalf and Lockett a little bit, but I mean, Geno Smith was just about one of the biggest surprises of the entire league this year, right? I mean, he went from an unheralded backup, kind of a bust with the Giants for a little bit, and out of nowhere, he had one of the most efficient seasons throwing the ball, and he was pretty much at the top of, at or near the top of every efficiency metric we have on playerprofiler.com, every accuracy metric, I mean, I think he was truly a great find for the Seahawks. And I think the thing that's interesting is they, you know, the whole off season, I don't know if they were just playing at Koi or they genuinely did not know what they had in Gino because they were like, Oh, it sound it, like it was be it a Cuban for a competition. Bit. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're going to play Locke. We're going to play Gino. It was very unclear who they were going to go with up until maybe what? Two weeks before the yeah. season started, they said, okay, we're going to start Gino, but definitely could have seen this one going either way. It seemed like, Going into the season, yeah, they, they didn't know what they had in Gino, or maybe they were just keeping their cards close to the chest.
0: You look back earlier in his career, like last year, uh, played mop-up duty, played before a game, 68% completion percentage. But you go all the way back earlier in his career, obviously playing with the Giants and the Jets, 58-57, 58-55, and 64. Not good. And mm-hmm. it begs the question, we saw Russ excel in Seattle, and now we see Gino excel in Seattle, and both guys in other situations failed.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: is Seattle the system right
1: and are both of these guys system quarterbacks I think that's a great question I mean we I think as the media we've given Pete Carroll a lot of flack for oh you run the ball too much oh you know you're just an old guy who's getting yeah. too much credit for drafting these insane defense I mean they drafted so many good defensive players to build that legion of boom but I think you're right there's some there was something there in the water in Seattle maybe it's all the rain they get but they're, they're doing something right in terms of the, the locker room perspective. I think they're always overachieving. And if you think about the future of this team, right, I mean, Kenneth Walker very much excelled for them as a rookie. Tariq Wallen tied for the league lead in interceptions yeah. this season. Two rookie tackles that were basically reliable starters for them in Charles Cross and Abe Lucas. I think also you have all the draft capital that they got from the Broncos for Russell Wilson. I mean, I think that might look we might look back on that as one of the absolute steals of just like any t- all time NFL trades. So they have a lot of weapons in their chest to build up a new contender team. I mean, they obviously have some holes, right? The defensive line comes to mind. I mean they're just sitting there at five. Yeah. You're sitting there at five exactly. where
0: you know you can move back or you can sit there and see if all these quarterbacks go and you can have a Jalen Carter, you can have a Will Anderson, or you can have a Tyree Wilson fall to you. Jump change exactly. or you could pull back into the teens you already have four picks in the top 53 three in the top 38 like this team's set up very well as oh, far yeah. as hitting on those two tackles and hitting on two corners that's massive
1: right no absolutely i mean the production that they got from this rookie class is we're probably going to talk about it as the best draft yeah. that any team had this last season They're the jets but see yeah I mean, the they just did jets, jets yeah. crushed it too that's for sure but i mean the Seahawks did it with a lot less draft capital, right? The Jets had three first-round picks, obviously drafted Brees Hall in the second round. But, I mean, Sauce Gardner and Garrett Wilson, absolutely Unreal. studs. So now
0: begs the question, kind of alluded to it a little bit, which was, is it a system? But now, takeaway mm-hmm. number seven, does coaching matter or is it to <laughs> an extent? Because my question why I wrote this down was Urban Meyer, right? right. Trevor Lawrence last year was miserable. And everyone coming in was like, this is the golden child. It's the next Peyton Manning. It's the next John Elway, the best prospect we've seen since. And Urban Meyer pretty much ran this directly into the ground. Does coaching matter, though? They bring in Doug Peterson. He brings the system from Philadelphia. He brings in Evan Ingram, overpays, per everybody, what's everyone thinking, yeah. right? They overpays Christian Evan Ingram, Kirk. overpays Christian Kirk, overpays Zay Jones. But they start out 3-7, and seven, and they end up winning the AFC South at 9-8. and eight. Does coaching matter, is Doug Peterson really that big of a pull for Trevor Lawrence? Or is Trevor Lawrence just that good? He kind of bounced back on his own. I think
1: that the element of coaching is one of those things that, from an analytical standpoint and from a fan standpoint, from a media standpoint, it's just impossible for us to know yeah. what it's like inside those locker rooms, inside those buildings every day. I mean, I think just overhearing Nick Sirianni today over in that press conference and understanding the way that the, the mindset of a coach and how that trickles down to an entire team. I think there's no way that it's not undervalued. Yeah. I think it just makes too much sense. I mean, like you said, the leap for um, Trevor Lawrence is huge. Another team where this really comes to mind is the giants, right? With Brian Dable coming in this season, everyone knew, Oh, there's not really any talent on this roster. They might even be a contender for a top five pick yeah. in 2023. Yep. And instead they start the season six and one. I mean, I remember in week one, they went for that two-point conversion against the Titans, and they won the game on the last play. And we were like, oh, crap. Like Brian Dables got a new confidence with these Giants, ended up making the playoffs. Obviously, they got their pants pulled down by the Eagles (laughs) in the divisional round, but they still won a playoff game. They They won a playoff game in Minnesota. I mean, what more can you ask for in your first year as a head coach when you inherit a situation that has absolutely no confidence from anyone in any NFL analysis side of the world, and then you come out, win a playoff game, I mean, I think that just shows us that we have no idea how much coaching matters. It's not just X's and O's. It's about the attitude that you can bring to a team and elevate every player by putting them in the best position to win. I mean, I remember back, probably week five, early in the season, there was a thread from, I think it was Robert Mays on Twitter, and he was talking about just how the Giants... They were willing to spam the same run concept over and over again. Yep. They run power four or five <laughs> plays in a row at you because if you can't stop it, we're not going to stop doing it. They were just running power with Saquon, and then after you finally stopped it, oh, here's a naked bootleg with Daniel Jones just That's to gain another 30 yards. They're willing to know what works for them and then just hit that button over and over again.
0: So they're inches away. They start out six and one, they kind of pull back, finish nine, six and one, make it all the way to the playoffs beat the Vikings, revenge from the <laughs> Christmas Eve game, and then they get the brakes beaten off of them by, obviously, the Eagles, who are now here in the Super Bowl. Does this team stay close together? Because last year they cut some flack for that Kayvon mm-hmm. Thibodeau draft pick, and it was expected that they weren't going to do much. They did. That defensive mm-hmm. line is strong and stout. And, and Daniel Jones, Dexter, Dexter defensive
1: tackle would have the most underrated year. defensive yeah. tackle in
0: the NFL right now, and that's saying something. But Daniel Jones, the question is, Daniel Jones and Saquon Barkley, We saw the numbers come out today, thirty-five to thirty-seven million for Daniel Jones. Does that nuke the whole build, or do they end up having to pay him just because they have to pay him?
1: I think that, you know, I've heard a couple analysts talk about this already, and I, I kind of agree with this take that the best approach for the Giants in terms of Daniel Jones is going to be try to get him to a two to three year contract. You're gonna have to pay up, right? I think that 35 million is probably the baseline. At the end of the day, he plays quarterback. I'm sure Geno Smith is going to get even more than that. Geno's probably asking for $40 million a year. So try to get a short-term deal with Daniel Jones. Figure out if he's truly a franchise quarterback you can build around. Obviously, this year they exceeded expectations, but Daniel Jones has not proven that he's able to elevate a team to a Super Bowl caliber. Obviously, the rest of this roster is really lacking. I mean, the fact they made the playoffs with Isaiah Hodgins, Richie James, and, I mean... I'm even Darius, Darius Slayton. Yes. It's just like the scrap heap of wide receivers from other teams that they were <laughs> able to put together. I mean, it just, to me, it just underscores why Dable should be considered near the top for Coach of the Year this season, but I think yeah, surround Daniel Jones with a little more talent, figure out whether he has what it takes to elevate another level. Can Brian Dable make him into another Josh Allen? I mean, I don't think so right now, but we didn't think so with Josh Allen three years ago, so See whether he can do that, give him a shorter extension, and then decide whether he's worth the big bucks after that or whether you need to draft his replacement, a la Jalen Hurts with Carson Wentz on the roster.
0: I like it. So let's move on to the next takeaway. I don't know how many we've done here, but number six on my list is what quarterbacks moved into tier one Mm -hmm. of talent and and ability and just what what kind of they bring to the table week in and week out in the NFL.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, I think this season – Joe Burrow, obviously, he took the Bengals to the Super Bowl last year, but I think this season, he has firmly entrenched himself at that top tier. Beating Josh Allen in the playoffs, obviously, has been a huge conversation point. It's kind of now looking like, oh, is it Burrow or Mahomes are the top quarterbacks in the NFL? I think Mahomes still has head and shoulders above everyone else for now, but... Jalen Hurts is up there. I mean, he took a huge leap. That's We're gonna a, big, talk one. About that's a him big one for me. Later. We'll talk about yeah. him later,
0: but that's the big one for me.
1: And I think Joe Burrow also solidified himself into that tier one. Obviously, it's his second full season as a starter. Both seasons they've reached the AFC Conference Championship game. And I think, you know, Justin Herbert is a guy who we thought we'd be talking about in this tier, but the Chargers kind of fizzled out. They had a lot of injuries in their offensive weapons, and I think that, you know, if you ask the average NFL fan today, between Burrow and Herbert, who they respect more, it's obviously going to be Burrow. So I think there's there's an interesting layer to that as well. But I think more importantly, yeah, this takeaway for sure is going to be Joe Burrow. And who do you think is going to enter this tier next year? I mean, there's obviously so much young talent in the NFL at the quarterback position. I think
0: right offhand, just based on like prior conversations we've had, and we talk about Burrow and we talk about Hurts, who are the two guys that kind of fit right in that mold for the next couple years? We saw Justin Fields, if he played the entire year this year, he was breaking the rushing record, mm-hmm. over 1,100 yards on the ground this season. And then the other guy, Trevor Lawrence, who took that Jaguars team from 3-7 and seven, all the way to 9-8 and, and that AFC South Championship – that's a pretty apparent one for me. I think Trevor Lawrence is the guy that if they continue to put weapons around him, he's got he's got tra- uh, Travis Etienne there. He's got Evan Ingram, who's now a free agent. Christian Kirk claims he's a top 10 wide receiver <laughs> in the NFL. We'll see. I don't really know if I believe that or not. I'd like to see a little bit more I mean, than a couple 900-yard yeah. seasons. But... Nonetheless, if if you can continue to build around and maybe add a piece in the draft, Trevor Lawrence is a guy mm-hmm. that can jump into that top list, and as well as Justin Fields, I think. But Justin Fields, yeah. I think, with Chicago, that whole situation, there's just a lot of talent
1: that needs to be added to Chicago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and no no disrespect to Christian Kirk. I, I may have chuckled yeah. <laughs> when you mentioned his name, but I mean he had a great season. I think he kind of proved his doubters wrong this year. People roasted that contract that he got early in the offseason, but he kind of Proved that he was worth that money, and he was a very reliable weapon. Obviously, he delivered for his fantasy managers big time this season. But, like you said, I don't think that Christian Kirk is an alpha wide receiver who's going to yeah. win every round in the tree. He's going to get you those deep balls. Like they, you know, they were able to cobble together a pretty good receiving core between him, Zay Jones, turning Evan Ingram into a a very hor- kind of a horizontal speed threat to defenses a lot of times this season. But. I'm with you that I think they need to add a true number one receiver. And, you know, just talking about this, it reminds me how much of the young talent at quarterback is in the AFC. It's crazy to me. Like the AFC playoffs this year, we had, I mean, Lamar was hurt, but the Ravens were in there. Justin Herbert, Trevor Lawrence, Joe Burrow, Patrick Mahomes. And in the NFC, it was like fart noises. (laughs) Who was the pro
0: bowlers this year? Goff, Geno, and and Cousins. Cousins fart noises
1: <laughs> come on what are
0: we doing here yeah and, and 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 who are the guys that were supposed to be in that spot brady yep rogers
1: stafford yeah and i mean this kind of leads into right here we have our for our takeaway number five is the nfc we really saw a change changing of the guard this season matthew stafford aaron Rodgers, and tom brady all the kind of old heads in the nfc playoffs i mean we saw all these teams make deep runs in the last couple of years the rams going all the way last year, the Bucs the year before, and the Packers being the one seed in both of those seasons, but they weren't doing anything in the playoffs. And all three of these teams fizzled out really, really hard this season. I don't think any of us could have predicted just how bad it went for the Bucs. I mean, their own line injuries, and the Rams had O-line injuries that absolutely decimated both of these teams. And then Aaron Rodgers, I mean, we knew he was going to miss Devontae Adams, but did we know he was going to miss him this much? And obviously... With Rodgers, there's the conversation of how how hurt was his thumb. He, you know, had the lingering thumb injury for a little while. He didn't miss any games, but you could tell he was missing throws that you wouldn't expect Aaron Rodgers to miss. Is anybody going to be able to
0: take that step up in the NFC? Because it looks like Rodgers is on the way out. It looks like he's going to go to the AFC, whether it's the Raiders or the Jets. Mm-hmm. Tom obviously retires. Stafford says he's coming back. What does that mean? Is is, yeah. is Stafford going to come back and play 16 games for the Rams, or is he going to come back and be like Brett Favre and just fizzle mm-hmm. out and be gone? Um, you look at all you look at across these teams, like the Saints are struggling at quarterback. Mm-hmm. The Falcons are gonna put out Desmond Ritter, Carolina Panthers could probably trade up for a quarterback right now. Tampa obviously stuck with Trask. Mm-hmm. All these teams are in kind of limbo, even like Geno Smith in Seattle. There's no guarantee he's there for three, four years. Yeah. What's the future for some of these spots? Like we talked about San Francisco earlier, whether it's
1: Lance, whether it's Purdy. I think that. I mean, Kyler Murray's ACL injury also yep. adds a, a big question mark to the mix. The Cardinals still haven't named their new head coach as of, you know, today, Tuesday of Super Bowl week. So whether the Cardinals are able to step up and whether Kyler Murray's able to step up into that elite tier, he's one of the few guys with any, like, draft pedigree starting at quarterback. Obviously, the Eagles and Jalen Hurts look like they're here to stay. Yeah. They're absolutely loaded on both sides of the ball. They have the draft capital to continue building this roster and obviously, Howie Roseman has shown that he's just able to continue manufacturing Super Bowl level teams. So I think that, yeah, I, I, there aren't many other teams like that. Though I mean, we just talked about the Giants, right? Yep. The Cowboys, Dak Prescott, probably, but I mean, you need him to have a better year than he did this season. And then who else is? I mean, Washington. What are they doing? They haven't finish? had a quarterback
0: in a decade, so yeah. I, don't, I don't really know what they're doing, but. Atlanta it kind of rolls right into our number four. Atlanta, mm-hmm. the expectation versus reality, they actually had a strong season uh, for what the expectation was. was probably going to be a top three pick. Uh, they roll out Marcus Mariota for the first half of the year, 1,000-yard rush with Tyler Algier, mm-hmm. and then they roll Desmond Ritter late. Can Atlanta overtake Carolina and New Orleans and kind of be the team going
1: forward in the NFC South? I I hesitate to, to say that they will be because, I mean, that Atlanta defense is still pretty bereft of talent and then you have obviously no stable quarterback situation among any of the teams in the NFC South all those teams also finished with losing records of the season you don't see that very often where every team in a division has a losing record but I just don't think the Falcons have enough pieces on the defense on the offensive line Kyle Pitts needs to come back healthy and the biggest question for me is is Arthur Smith Going to get a quarterback that he trusts to air the ball out. At the end of the day, I don't think so. We know. I don't think they're going to. We know that you need to win in this league by throwing the ball. And this year, the Falcons and the Bears, to some extent, both both of these teams showed that a, a major, major hesitance to throw the ball, and that obviously didn't work for them. You yeah. know, and I think that this, this isn't a running league. Yeah, they're trying the to take line. us back to 2000 in terms of. I think both of those teams had the lowest run rate or the lowest pass rate since 2000. Either of them would have broken the record. That season.
0: works when you have Derrick Henry at running back Arthur Smith. Mm-hmm. It doesn't work when it's Cordero Patterson, Tyler Algier. And, you know, Byron Lambert, our good friend from Roster Watch, was out at the Shrine Bowl uh, just last week in Las Vegas. And the Atlanta Falcons and the New England Patriots were coaching that game. And little tidbit you take away from that is, the New England Patriots asked asked to coach the Scat backs in that game. The Atlanta Falcons asked to coach all of the bruiser backs, all the 220 plus pounders. They already mm-hmm. got Tyler Algier. They already got Cordero Patterson. So they're gonna go full-fledged into this run game focus, which is what they did in Tennessee. He's gonna Arthur Smith is gonna to continue to try to do this thing while he still has talents like Drake London, Kyle Pitts out wide. And and we know. Desmond Ritter's good enough to get the ball out, but he's not right. good enough to elevate. He's not a he's not a game changer. He's not like any of the rookies in this class. Um, I, I've never been big on CJ Stroud or Bryce Young, but those guys are both miles better mm-hmm. than what Desmond Ritter, I mean, Ritter brings Ritter to the was table a right
1: third now. Third round, third or fourth round pick last year. I mean, he obviously just from what NFL teams are telling us, we know that Desmond is not on the level of yeah. these quarterbacks in this incoming class. And I think, yeah, like you mentioned, it's to me, it's it's baffling that there's this much insistence on running the ball. It's 2023. I was about to say it's 2022, but no, it's 2023. <laughs> NFL teams need to figure it out, realize that the key to winning is by getting that elite quarterback and then getting pass heavy, and that's just the best way to generate explosive plays, the best way to generate offense, and at the end of the day, you win the game by scoring more points. And I think even just from a fantasy perspective, it's really sad to see Drake London, and Kyle Pitts going to waste. I mean, those yeah. are the fourth overall pick in one draft and the eighth overall pick the following draft. And those guys, I mean, if you have an not offense attempting him. 20 yeah. passes per game, you're not going to get the most out of those stud players. And it's just a shame to see with how talented those guys have looked in, you know, per, per target basis. But obviously the volume has not been there at all.
0: You talked about fantasy, and that's kind of a big thing we focus on. Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle finished number two and number eight at the wide receiver position this year. Over the last couple of years, this has happened a few times. Tyler Lockett, DK Metcalf finished seven, eight. Uh, Justin Jefferson, Adam Thielen six and ten. Last year, Keenan Allen eleven and twelve with Mike Williams. The expectation entering the season was not Waddle and Tyreek because there was not a lot of trust with Tua down in Miami in this new offense with Mike McDaniel. It was actually T Higgins and Jamar Chase. That's where the ADP pointed us. Mm -hmm. Why do you think that Waddle and Tyreek were able to finish as top 10 wide receivers in fantasy? Because entering the season, I was like, "Eh, I don't think so. think so. Because they're too similar. And that actually ended up helping them in the long run, despite Tua playing
1: 12 and a half games. Yeah, I think this is a perfect instance to talk about just how team philosophy and team construction play such a big difference. If you just look at the Falcons and the Dolphins in a case study, right? The Dolphins... They said, hey, we got to go out and get another talented wide receiver. We have a good one in Jalen Waddle, a great young talent. We're going to go get another one, and we're just going to throw the ball mercilessly on teams. We're going to pepper these studs with targets. And then obviously, as fantasy managers, we benefit from that in a big way. Obviously, everyone who drafted Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle was very thankful for the way things played out. And then on the other hand, you have the Falcons who say, oh, no. Let's go draft Tyler Algier. We got this. We're going to spend a first-round pick on Drake London, but let's not use him too much. We're not going to trust our quarterbacks. And I think the pass rate over expectation in Miami versus Atlanta obviously shows a difference in philosophy. And I think the success that the Dolphins had while Tua was healthy, obviously big question marks for the future with Tua. But the success that they're able to have while their offense was fully functional it's something the Falcons can only dream of right now because they're so focused on running the ball. All I'm thinking about right now is
0: what if, what if they draft Justin Fields instead of Kyle Pitts and they have London now? Mm-hmm. What if they draft Jamar Chase instead of Kyle Pitts? And right now we're looking at Chase and London yeah. or Fields in London and you have a completely different dynamic the way this team is built, but instead we're not. We're looking at Desmond Ritter with these two talented wide receivers and Tyler Algier. Yeah.
1: No, it's it, like, yeah, it's it's just really unfortunate, I think, for for fans of the game, yeah. right? For fantasy managers as well. I think we obviously want to see every offense succeed, every team succeed. And we're going to be wrong about players. Like, you know, we were wrong about Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle. We thought that there was no way that these two alphas could coexist and both have their massive target shares. But Tyreek Hill actually got an even bigger target volume than we're used to seeing than he ever saw in Kansas City. I mean, he was upwards of a 30% target share. So I think that this just... There the, was thoughts for
0: a minute there that he was going to go for 2K. Yeah. But then obviously, obviously Tua gets hurt and that whole situation happens. But I mean, this this season could have been even more explosive than what it
1: was. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, obviously we're hoping for the best for Tua's health. yeah. yeah. And that, you know, I, there was that news... Maybe last week, in the he middle was still, of the
0: middle of the Senior Bowl, yeah. he gets
1: cleared of concussion protocol. We all opened this this tweet up
0: from Shefty, and it was like Tua cleared of concussion protocol in the middle of. I thought it said he was still in concussion. I protocol. know I said he was cleared. It would literally because it was so funny because it was like normally that comes out right. middle of the week. No, it came out like February first, Senior Bowl week, and we're like, what? Yeah, uh, that's scary though. Like that's no, scary for sure. in the long run as far as like. Multiple concussions. It took him a month to get cleared.
1: Everything, Just everything we know about football and head trauma, you know, it would be perfectly justified if he said, hey, you know, I've got to choose what's best for my life and walk away from football. That'd been, yeah, that would be but crazy. I think it sounds like they're counting on him to be the starter in 2023, so we can hope that we'll see more of that explosive Dolphins offense. I'm just, you know, from a projection standpoint, right, I mean, that's, yeah. that's kind of how I think about a lot of these teams is when Mike McDaniel went over to the Dolphins, I figured he's going to take that run-heavy Shanahan system with him, but no, he proved to be a much better head coach than I think any of us could have anticipated. He knew the strengths of the offense he was building. He was able to get the most out of Tua with that timing-heavy offense, take advantage of his pinpoint accuracy, take advantage of those two stud receivers in Tyreek and Jalen Waddle. and I think I personally came away very impressed with McDaniel this last season. I think The way that he managed the interpersonal stuff and the way he talked about Tua's concussion, putting Tua back into that game against the Bills, I think that's where you really have to grill him for how he coached this season. But in terms of the X's and O's, he was, I think, 10 out of 10 from my point of view.
0: 2023, where's the ADP going to land? You're doing projections right now for the 2023 season. Where's the ADP going to land when it comes to wide receivers both from the same team finishing in mm-hmm. the top 12, the top 10. Is it going to be Chase and Higgins again? Is it going to be Waddle and Tyreek this year? Is it going to go back to Justin Jefferson and whoever his running mate is? Yes. If Thielen's gone and they bring in a rookie, for example, um, are we looking at Lamb and his new running mate? Or where, where are you looking at right now as far as projections?
1: I think that the obviously all the duos you mentioned, the one you missed that I think obviously stands out is A.J. Brown and Devonta Smith. That I mean, probably between... The two Eagles receivers, the two Bengals receivers, and these two Dolphins receivers. You're going to see all six of those guys in the top 15 wide receivers of most people's fantasy rankings. What do you want? I need none. I think, for me, it's Chase and Higgins, just because you have more quarterback certainty, right? I mean, we saw Burrow elevate his game this year. We know that he might elevate his game yet again. And I think that the quarterback uncertainty with the Dolphins hurts them hurts their chances and I think that with the Eagles they're just still more of a run heavy offense and obviously they are able to be run heavy because they have a running quarterback they have the threat of going 11 on 11 with you and that makes so much more sense than going run heavy if you're you know the Falcons for example but I think the Eagles those A.J. Brown games and Devontae Smith games where they're able to explode for 150 yards and two touchdowns are going to be Relatively fewer than these Bengals wide receivers are able to, you know, crush in fantasy. It's gonna
0: to be tough for me to trust Devonta Smith consistency. We we consistently we saw too many games this year where it was like three for 13, and then AJ Brown went off, or vice versa, where where when Smith went off it was a, mm-hmm. a buck 60, and you were like, oh geez, and Brown had nothing on the other side, which is where I always lent was yeah. having Brown. Chase and Higgins seems like the easy one. Yeah. Right. Everyone's going to be chasing. Everyone does this every year. They chase after what happened last year, and last year everyone was about Higgins and Chase. Kind of got burnt. Now everyone's going to move on to Waddle and Hill. Assuming Tua is healthy when the season Mm -hmm. starts, I think that does open the door to stay with Chase and Higgins again.
1: Yeah. No, and I think I mean just to your point about consistency with Devonta Smith, I personally believe that consistency completely overrated in fantasy. Yeah. You want the guys that are going to have weak winning ceiling. If Devonta Smith is going to go between 35 and 8 fantasy points every other week. You'd almost rather have that than a guy who's scoring 16 every week because those weeks that they drastically increase your win probability or in DFS, the weeks that they really shoot you up the leaderboard are by far the most valuable weeks. So I think that if, you know, I kind of thought about this with the Chargers receivers coming into this season, I made a big argument that Mike Williams was being undervalued because people, oh, the consistency of Mike Williams You know, we want consistency in our fantasy wide receivers. No, you don't. You want ceiling. And Mike Williams had a huge year this year, obviously missed some games due to injury. And I think if that's going to be the conversation around Devontae Smith next year, I will be happy to draft all of the Devontae Smith that everyone else is leaving on the table because that dude is a stud. I think the Eagles have two number one receivers and they're both going to continue to ball.
0: Let's move on to the second to last takeaway. Number two, luck. Luck is...
1: Uh, Not Andrew Luck. A,
0: no, no, no. A wise man once told me fantasy football is 90% luck, 10% what you think you know. Mm-hmm. Luck in the NFL, we see it week in and week out, and that's really what can change these teams with these one-score games. The Vikings were 6-8 in 2021 in one-score games this year, 11-0. It was apparent to me as a Viking fan, which is a little bias, of course, towards, but I've grown against that in the last couple of years <laughs> It wasn't the first game against Green Bay, obviously, because they won. It wasn't week two when they got dusted by the Eagles. It wasn't week three when Detroit went to Minnesota and played them tough because Detroit has played Minnesota tough for the last 15 years, no matter how good or bad Detroit has been. It was week four against New Orleans when they went to overtime, all the way through overtime, and they won – On a doink field goal. At that point, it told me that this overall team just wasn't there. The defense wasn't there. At what point, um, as far as luck goes, at what point do you start to realize in as far as the analytics side of things goes, you're like, man, maybe my numbers, the numbers are, are, they're either in favor of the team in the good trajectory as Mm -hmm. far as having luck or in vice versa where it's like the Vikings, it's like, this team is not
1: it. I think that, I mean, this is where I just love being able to dive into the analytics on teams. DVOA, for example, absolutely was screaming from the mountaintops that the Vikings were a fraud. I think they were yeah. 20, was it 27th or 25th yep. in DVOA when obviously like, you're thinking, wait, this is a 13-win team. How can they be in thirteen? The bottom win. bottom 10 <laughs> teams in DVOA? But think about the games that the Vikings lost this year. The Eagles made them look like a college football team the yep. Cowboys ran all over them. That was an amazing Tony Pollard game. So, anytime the Vikings faced a truly good team this season, they got completely shown up. And then every game that they won, these we're talking about eleven points It's like they, they needed a comeback against the Commanders. They, they how about that Colts game? Yeah, the Colts game. That was I mean that yeah. was the one where it was like, all right, if you haven't realized it by now, here's your last time to jump off the yeah. jump off the bandwagon. This is it. No, absolutely. I mean, that was funny. (laughs) That game was like the perfect, like, is Jeff Saturday actually tanking game? How do you go from blowing a 33-point lead? But I think, yeah, like you said, the Vikings completely fraudulent fraudulent last season. And I think if we talk about the long-term outlook for that team, it's not looking great, right? I mean, Adam Thielen is way over the hill, and they have to pay him. Dalvin Cook's future pretty are they, cutting, the are they cutting are they cutting or cook i mean i know that you think they're the num- not the
0: numbers are very much in favor of cutting them uh i think Thielen's a guy that's going to get restructured he's, he feels like to me i've always said this he feels like a larry fitzgerald to me where he just is going to he's a hometown kid he's from detroit lakes mm-hmm. minnesota he grew up in the area walked onto the he didn't even walk on essentially in the nfl when you walk onto a team he yeah. went to a rookie mini camp and he had to ask to come to the workout made the team and of course the rest is history special teams etc it just doesn't feel like he'll ever leave. Now, there's some rumblings that he might. Delvin Cook's the big question, I think. Mm-hmm. Alexander Madison's a free agent. Delvin Cook's a guy that's a cut candidate or trade candidate. That could be the nuke that kind of blows up the NFL draft, is if mm-hmm. they get rid of both of these guys yeah. and they go, guess what? B.J. Robinson's right there.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think they do need to decide just what the next generation of his offense looks like. Kirk Cousins had a pretty good year overall. Yeah. I think... A lot of that was the narrative of the Vikings being so good and all the wins they were getting. And it turned out that, you know, that was all a little overhyped. But I think Kirk played well. And I think that Justin Jefferson is obviously one of the elite talents of the NFL right now. He's going to be a stud for probably the next 10 years. But what do you do around them with that offense? Because they don't really have a strong wide receiver, too, next to Jefferson anymore. Like you said, TJ Hawkinson really impressed in his stint with the Vikings. And they have Irv Smith as a tight end, too, now. So I think that there's some options, there's some variability, but that defense was far from great this year, and I think that the offense, you know, they're they're just aging out, and they're going to have to figure out what that next iteration looks like, decide, yeah, who to pay, whether to keep Dalvin Cook around. But I think that the next time we see the Vikings on the field, their defense is going to look, their defense and their offense are going to look pretty different from what we saw this season.
0: Let's finish it out with the number one takeaway and no better place to finish. We talked about number 10 being the Kansas City Chiefs with Patrick Mahomes. Number one, QB1, fantasy points per game, Jalen Hurts. We talked about it before the season started, the ability for Jalen Hurts to take that next step, to be like a a Josh Allen, to be like a Patrick Mahomes, to be like a mixture of those guys with with Lamar Jackson. Mm -hmm. He did the damn thing, finishes QB1, fantasy points per game, What's the big takeaway with Jalen Hurts and, and what can we learn from this whole situation?
1: I think that, you know, Josh Allen, when he took his leap two or three years ago, it was one of a kind. We got the end of here repping Jalen Hurts right here. We're talking about really Jalen Hurts right We're talking now? about Jalen Hurts. What do you have to say about Jalen? <laughs> nothing. <laughs> nothing. nothing. Oh, man. He's, He's got, got a mute mascot, folks. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I think obviously Jalen Hurts took a huge leap this year. The, the case for him in fantasy yeah. was obviously the rushing ceiling. And then he elevated his passing game in, in an marginally, absolutely – Marginally. Like, you know, beyond what any of us could have hoped for. And A.J. Brown obviously played a huge role in that. I mean – How but, big was the
0: acquisition of, of A.J. Brown? That means that made – that might have been the move of
1: the offseason. Yeah. Obviously, they're here. They're at the Super Bowl. The move of the offseason. Absolutely. I mean, the pick that they gave up to get him turned into Traylon Burks. But if this Eagles offense had Traylon Burks right now instead of A.J. Yeah. Brown – We'd I love Traylon Burks. Very different but, conversation. On. I love Traylon Burks. But come Absolutely. On. No, yeah. Uh, I'm totally with you. Burks, promising young guy. I also
0: love Quez Watkins, but I don't think <laughs> Quez is going to be able to fill the shoes that A.J. Brown kind of. Oh, yeah. It's a different ballgame, man.
1: Yeah. A.J. Brown, I mean, just, it was funny. I mean, I obviously, last night at opening night, we got to be up close and just hear him talking in interviews. Michael Irvin was chatting with him for a little bit. Just kind of being in the presence of these guys is one of the truly special things about being here this week but yeah just overall hearing howie roseman talk about aj brown too i mean i was we were standing next to howie roseman for a couple minutes and that was a lot of the questions toward howie were about that aj brown trade how do you evaluate wide receivers how do they decide that aj brown was that guy and one of the things that he said that really stuck out to me is aj brown just tilts the field whenever he's out there the defense has to respect him he can beat you deep he's so physical after the catch and he can beat you in the short game too just because like you said, throw him throw him a screen, and he'll beat that first defender that's on him. So between A.J. Brown's game, the way Howie Roseman talked about him, being up close with you know Brown himself last night, I think it just showed just how much he's added to this offense.
0: And you remember back to that rookie year, he only had 84 targets had over 1,000 yards, averaged 20 per reception, and then he kind of came back down to earth, averaged 15, 13 the last two years, and they were like, damn, in Tennessee, the situation, mm-hmm. like we talked about earlier right with Arthur Smith, everything's focused around... Oh, Derrick Henry, Derrick Henry, Derrick Henry, and it did feel like AJ Brown kind of got tired of that. He moves on to Philadelphia, 145 targets, and completely returns to what we saw his rookie season. Mm-hmm. I don't know if anybody we've seen this we've seen this year in and year out, right? Juju is like the best example where Juju has that massive first year, obviously playing with Antonio Brown helps. Mm-hmm. He talked about that last night too. Talking yeah. about with that, that was a good that was a very interesting point where he said that Kelsey and, and Brown were just completely different. But back to AJ Brown. Usually we see a guy maybe have a great rookie year and then fall back to earth. AJ Brown didn't. Yeah. Fourteen hundred yards on one hundred forty-eight targets. Pretty surreal to see a guy bounce back completely in a new offense. Yeah. Right. We talk about this with multiple guys. Jordan Addison going across the country from Pittsburgh to USC. Like DeAndre Hopkins goes all the way to Arizona last year has a good season. We don't usually see year one guys excel quite to the level that AJ Brown did.
1: Yeah. And I think that. I mean, we talked about this briefly with Tyreek Hill, but just the value of these alpha-wide receivers, I think NFL teams are starting to realize, hey, you can build a good offense with having these prime targets for your quarterback. DeAndre Hopkins has been traded in recent years. Devontae Adams also switched teams this offseason. And I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if we see a little bit more of that this offseason as well. I mean, Amari Cooper on the Browns kind of, an underrated alpha for yeah. sure. And the Cowboys, do you think the Cowboys wish they had Amari Cooper when they were getting Slightly. beat down Slightly. by like 49ers in the Slightly. playoffs? Slightly. I mean, I didn't get just the value of these wide receivers. And I mean, to bring it back to Jalen hurts, the way that he was able to elevate his game was um, just completely unreal. And before we get going, I do want to ask you, what do you give us a quick takeaway from just being boots on the ground here at the super bowl? What is, your early takeaways. I mean, it's only Tuesday. We're obviously going to spend a lot more time with players and media over these next couple days. But just like, let's talk about some early takeaways from Super Bowl week, because I think we have a very rare opportunity to be here.
0: The big takeaway, and I know Matt already did a takeaway show on the Senior Bowl, and that was awesome. But the big takeaway, I think, from being here is it's the same availability almost, not quite as the Senior Bowl, but the availability as far as being right up close with these guys, being able to ask them anything you are interested in, being able to, to really to really go into their brains and, and, and understand how the offenses are working. I think the biggest one, I think, was Nick Sirianni. This oh, yeah. morning, when Nick Sirianni kind of talked about how this team came together, their camaraderie, they all got these... Uh, wristbands on the say dog culture, and he's always talked about the dog culture. I talk about that very often on the pods, and it's it's a re- very real thing with Philadelphia, and you can tell that in conversations with all of these guys. And they've talked about the difference between these coaching staffs. They're very, they're both very player friendly. That's mm-hmm. very apparent, I think. Um, yeah, basically, just the, the the boots on the ground ability to conversate with these guys and, and really get in depth feel, and that's kind of you know without giving away our picks, we'll talk about that on Thursday in the promcast, mm-hmm. but. That's why I'm, I'm very much in favor of the Chiefs this week because the culture that the Chiefs have is... <laughs> you, just, is... you just spent
1: two minutes talking about Nick Sirianni and the Eagles together. Yeah, just... <laughs> but
0: it's the same thing on the other side. Though. We'll I talk know. about that later, I but know. it's the same feel.
1: Yeah, no, I think that, that I was going to say that was my biggest takeaway last night was just all the Chiefs players, when asked about it, about what makes this team special, about the dynamic between the players, it was like I was truly came away with the way that they talked about their teammates. It was a little bit different from the way yeah. the Eagles talked about their teammates. It's very subtle to me, but like the way that Juju talked about O line being friends with the receivers, being friends, these guys all hang out together off the field, yeah. and I think that makes that team a little bit different. I'm sure the Eagles do that as well, but that was just something that the Chiefs were more vocal about. I do think I'm a little bit hesitant to change uh, to you know change my picks just based on hearing these conversations with these players. I, there's there's so much that we don't know that yeah. happens behind closed doors, so I think that. That's difficult. I mean, you mentioned these coaching staffs. I was talking to Jason Kelsey today Mm -hmm. about Andy Reid and how he obviously played for Andy Reid when Reid was the Eagles coach. And now what it's been like to watch Reid build this dynasty in Kansas City. And he was just saying he has the most respect for Andy Reid and how much of a player's coach he is, how much of an honest guy he is, and how much he's able to build togetherness among a team and that translates to success on the field. So I think that's why both of these teams are here, if we're being honest. And, yeah, that's probably been my biggest takeaway so far, too. It's been a great week. We've almost been here for five days now. we got a couple more days left.
0: We're at the Caesars Sportsbook Superstage here at Radio Row in Phoenix, Arizona. That's Dario Offsteen. This is Cody Carpentier. This has been the Top 10 Takeaways. I think we did a little more than 10, but we'll be back on Thursday for the PropCast Happy Hour. Thank you guys for tuning in on Player Profile or our YouTube channel.